So this, this season of my, my priesthood has been a real gift to me, um, particularly because I'm, I'm able to live with one of my best friends, Father Andrew Merrick. Uh, about maybe in 2010, we lived together for about a month and a half. And so this is the longest I've ever gone with living with him, about six months at this point. And, and I really do believe that if there's any priest in the Diocese of Baton Rouge who is striving to live a life that is canonizable, it's Father Andrew Merrick. He is a holy, holy, holy uh, priest. But <laughs> when you live with somebody, you also get to see uh, their personality defects and their imperfections and, and their biggest pet peeves. And even though Father Andrew really, really, really loves Jesus Christ a lot, one of the things that he really dislikes and I think it's important that I tell you this so you don't have to experience it yourself, is he really dislikes whenever people begin to celebrate the Christmas season during the Advent season. He does not like that at all, which none of us should like that. Like, we're in the Advent season right now. We should be in Advent. Christmas is literally like four days away, five days away, and it's a whole season. It goes through January but he cannot stand whenever, whenever people uh, tell him Merry Christmas during Advent. Um, he doesn't like to have Christmas parties during Advent. He wants them to be Advent parties. He doesn't call it a Christmas tree. It's an Advent tree. Um, but he literally, he won't say Merry Christmas to you during Advent. And recently we were at an Advent party and someone from LSU who was going back home to see her family was saying bye to everybody and she came up to Father Andrew and she gave him a big old hug and, and she was so happy y'all and she was so joyful and she said Merry Christmas Father and he said mmm <laughs> literally he didn't say happy Advent or you too he mmm <laughs> and when she walked away I said mmm and he was like, I didn't know what to say, bro. I didn't, like, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And I was like, oh, man. Like, it's, just, it's so funny because like, he can't stand Christmas music during Advent, whereas me, on the other hand, I don't like sacred Christmas music during the Advent season, like, oh, holy night, like, that belongs in Christmas. Silent night, that belongs in Christmas, right? But secular Christmas music, like, I play during Halloween time. Like, I'm jamming out to Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, and Halloween. Um, I, I like the song, This Christmas Will Be a Very Whatever. Like, I love secular Christmas music. God oftentimes communicates to me through music as well. And recently, I was jamming out uh, to a, a Christmas song. It was, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And it really is becoming like the most wonderful time of the year because we are preparing for the incarnation of Christ. And so it's an excited time to anticipate the, the incarnation, the coming of Christ in our lives again. But as I was like listening to this song, I felt convicted. I didn't feel convicted because it was a Christmas song and it's Advent season. I felt convicted because though for many of us, this really is like the most wonderful time of, of the year. For some of us, this is one of the most painful times of the year. We all have someone in our family or someone who lives in our neighborhood or one of our coworkers who has lost a loved one. And this would be their first Christmas being without that person, their spouse, whether it's through divorce or death, their, their parents, 
the loss of, of a sibling, or maybe their sibling got married, and their, their sibling's going to be with their in-laws for Christmas this year, and it's going to be our first time experiencing the Christmas season without them. The loss of a, of a job. Right? This might be a Christmas season for somebody we know, or maybe even for ourselves, where it's just going to be very difficult to actually enter into the season, because it's not going to be like, like years past. One of the temptations from the enemy that is very operative during this time of the year, particularly the end of Advent and the beginning of the Christmas season, is the temptation to comparison. To compare my life to, to what it used to be and what it's not anymore. Comparison to other people's lives. They still have their families together. They still have a good job. They're still able to provide when we go to these Advent gatherings or when we go to the Christmas parties, we might see things that other people have that we don't have or who they have that, that we don't have. And it might be painful. One of the vices that might be born from this temptation to give into comparison during this season is the, the vice of envy. Envy is that irrational sin it's, it's irrational because it, it tells us that because someone else is winning, that therefore means that I must be losing. We feel like a sting in our heart when we see how good someone else is doing in their marriage or with their family or with their kids or with their parents or at, at work or in their health or whatever it might be. And we literally feel like a pain in our heart. And we don't have to have it, but we just wish that they didn't have it either. It's painful to see if we find ourselves in this place, we're not alone. And this is a temptation that is very much operative throughout our community. And it's not isolated to this season in history either. I imagine like whenever I pray with the life of, of, of Joseph, that potentially he may have experienced this struggle with comparing what he was able to provide for Mary and Jesus as opposed to what other people were able to provide for their families. I am not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that Joseph struggled with the vice of envy. I am suggesting that he potentially experienced the pain of comparison. Can you imagine what it must have been like for, for Joseph to be accompanying Mary as she was pregnant, as she was getting ready to bring the Christ child into this world, and he who was entrusted by God through the message of an angel to walk with Mary, to provide for Mary, to protect Mary and Jesus. He wasn't even able to find them a place to give birth to the Son of God. And other families, they were able to find a place and a space to deliver their children into the world, and he wasn't able. Maybe he compared himself to his relatives who were able to do that, whereas he wasn't. Then after the Christ child, was born and Mary and Joseph were, were traveling to, to bring their, their offerings of sacrifices. Maybe he saw what other people had that he did not have. He was poor. He couldn't bring the, the, a sacrifice that cost money. And so he might have been looking at them like, wow, like I really don't have what they have. Maybe he felt inadequate. Maybe he struggled with comparison like many of us do. If we find ourselves in this period of comparison to what Christmas used to be, to what our lives used to look like, to how things were back then, to other people's blessings, whereas we seem to be on the, on the struggle season, we're not alone. But we're also invited to not 
stay there. We are invited to, to reorient our attention to the word of God. There is no way that we can spend time with God's word whenever we perceive the attacks of the enemy, whether it's the subtle attack of comparison or the deadly attack of envy. There's no way that if we turn to God's word, that God's word will not bring about some kind of transformation in our life, whether we can perceive it or not. So if I'm struggling with comparison right now, then I'm invited to look at today's gospel, to enter into today's gospel where Mary, the mother of God, set out in haste to a town of Judah for three months to visit her older cousin Elizabeth. And I'm invited to examine the response of Elizabeth to Mary's greeting. Elizabeth was a woman who was barren for many years. She was married to Zechariah, a man who was dedicated and devoted to the service of God's kingdom with his wife Elizabeth, who was holy, who was set apart, who prayed and who fasted and who lived a life of, of penance. And yet she could not conceive a child year after year into their marriage. Can you imagine the pain in her heart? And then finally, after all these years of being faithful to God's word, she receives this blessing of becoming pregnant with John the Baptist, but she's an old woman. She's not in her youth anymore. Maybe she won't have that many years to cherish with her child, John the Baptist. Her life just doesn't seem to be going the way other women in her community's lives were going. And then her young baby cousin, Mary, who was a 14-year-old girl, comes to visit her. And she, without even trying, is now pregnant, and she's pregnant with the Son of God. Elizabeth could have responded by saying, really, Lord? Like, I've been faithful to you way longer than Mary. Mary is only 14 years old. I've been faithful to you for decades, for decades. And she is able to be the mother of God and not me after all that I've done for you, after all that I've suffered, after all that I've been through. She's the one who gets to be chosen? No. She didn't respond with any kind of jealousy. She didn't compare her life to Mary. She didn't have any envy in her heart. What did she do? She rejoiced. Praise God, Mary. Praise God that you are pregnant. Blessed are you among women. I celebrate with you. I rejoice with you. My baby in my womb is leaping at your presence in the presence of the Son of God in your womb. Praise the Lord. She was able to celebrate her cousin's blessing. She wasn't focused on what Mary had that she did not have, which would be 33 more years with the life of her son. She simply rejoiced at the blessing of God in the life of her relative, at the blessing of God in the life of her cousin. She was able to rejoice because she was rooted in the word of God. These words that Elizabeth greeted Mary with, blessed are you among women, are words that are biblical. There are only two other places in the entire scripture canon where this phrase is used. And it was once used with a woman by the name of J.L. And it was also used with a woman by the name of Judith, both in the Old Testament scriptures. J.L. and Judith were two women who were used by God 
to take down the evil emperor of their time who was persecuting their people. And the way that they were able to take down the evil persecutor of their time was by crushing his head. Elizabeth, rooted in the word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to make the connection that Mary was the woman that God the Father spoke about in the book of Genesis, the woman who would crush the serpent's head. Mary was that woman. She was rooted in God's word. She knew the scriptures. She knew that God always, always provided for his people what they needed, not necessarily what they wanted, but always what they needed. She would have known the story of the Israelites being freed from slavery by Moses. She would have known the story of the manna falling down from the sky to feed the people. Again, not necessarily giving them what they wanted, but always providing for them what they needed to persevere in their walk toward the promised land. And she recognized that also in her life, maybe she didn't need to be pregnant at a young age. Maybe she didn't need to be pregnant at all. God would always provide for her what she needed in her walk toward eternity. And she knew this truth because of who she was rooted in relationship with. God in and through the words of God in the sacred scriptures. And if we too want to be able to respond to the blessings that other people are going to experience in this season of their lives, if we too are going to want to persevere in relationship with the Lord in this season of our lives, recognizing that our health might not be the best this year, we might not be as successful as we once were, we might have lost a few friendships and relationships, we might be suffering and grieving because of the loss of loved ones, but still, God will always give us exactly what we need to persevere in our relationship with him. And the way that we can be rooted in this truth is if we, like Elizabeth, are rooted in his word. Intentionally spending time with the sacred scriptures every single day. And I assure us that if we imitate Elizabeth, Saint Elizabeth, and if we too can immerse ourselves in his, his word, then we will also be able to abide by this truth that I might not get what I want this year or next year or ever, but I will always have what I need. And if I have what I need, then I have everything, because I have him who is everything, Jesus. And if we can persevere in trusting that Jesus is enough for us while we are on earth, then we will be able to persevere in our relationship with Jesus and abide with him, not only while we are on earth, but forever in the kingdom of heaven.